morning this morning, man, what a, what a wonderful day it's been um, so far. I, I can't wait. We've got a couple of baptisms today after service, um, one being my son and one being my, my brother Brian back there. Man, I'm excited. Um, I know they're excited. I want you to know the reason you're here this morning, though. The reason you're here this morning is because God wanted you to be here this morning. He put you in this timeline that we call the, the 2000s, and you're here today because God wanted you to be here today. God does things on purpose and for a reason. And so I believe that nobody is here by coincidence or mistake this morning. So welcome, and it's a first step in, in walking in God's will in your life. It's a great thing to be here this morning as we celebrate a resurrected Savior. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer this morning. If you would please bow your heads with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm humbled at the opportunity, Lord, just to stand in your presence, Lord, that you sent your Son to tear the veil, Lord, that we can approach your throne and have a conversation with our Creator. God, I'm, I'm just thankful for that opportunity. God, not only to bear our sins to the cross, but, Lord, for the chains to be broken as he came out of that grave. God, what an opportunity we stand in today knowing the stories and, and having the testimonies of, of your liveliness and the fact that our Savior sits on the right hand of the Father, Lord, that we have a message for the world today that they need to hear. Of truth, love, and compassion, and grace, mercy. Lord, I pray that you be with us this morning, Lord, that you would just allow your spirit to fall upon us. Lord, that we bind Satan from this service. Lord, through your shed blood, we have the power and authority to cast him from here at this time, Lord, that everything that would be said and done this morning would be pleasing to you and under your will and under your authority. Lord, I pray for the people here this morning that they would open your minds and hearts. God, is your word is relayed to them. God, I just pray a blessing on each and every one of them, the ones that couldn't make it this morning uh, for whatever reason. Um, Lord, I know we got one laying in a hospital that's had surgery and others that are sick and hurting, Lord, and I just pray that your spirit would fall on them. Lord, let them know your existence this morning and let them know your, your presence and your love. God, I'm so thankful to have this time together this morning. It's in your holy and precious son's name we pray. Amen. This morning, if you weren't here, um, it was a little cool, for one. <laughs> they, they thought the metal chairs were cold, um, setting in them. We tried to get John to go around and set in each one of them to preheat him, but he, he wouldn't do it. Um, but we talked about how, how Mary and Mary arose early, and they, were, they went to the sepulcher to find Jesus, and, and there was an angel that rolled the rock back while they were there, and there was no Jesus. And in Luke's account, he says, Why seek ye the living among the dead? But what I got across to him this morning is that when we start our day seeking the right things, we're going to find the right things. And see, Mary and Mary, they decided to get up. They said at the dawn they went to the tomb. And so they got up and arose and they started seeking Jesus immediately. And you don't understand the power that it has on your day before your feet hit the floor if you'll just proclaim the name of Jesus and see the day as an opportunity to live for him, what a difference it can make in your day. Because at the end of the day, it's not really about what we had on our schedule or our agenda or how busy we were, but it's about our walk with the Father. Because the bank, as much as I love it, and it puts food on my table, it's not going to get me eternal life. And I believe it's putting gray in my, my hair as we speak. It's probably actually shortening my life here. Um, it, the, my kids are partially to blame as that as well, looking at you. But when we set our, our minds to think about godly things, and we set on our hearts the treasures in heaven, then whatever happens in the world doesn't matter. Because our hearts and our minds are set on the things above. What I wanted to talk to you about today is a hope in the darkness. 
You know, there's a lot of times that we question if God's there, or if he hears us, or if he even knows what we're going through. But you can rest in the assurance of what this weekend means and what Christ did for us, that yes, he knows you. Yes, he knows what you're going through. He feels it just the way you feel that that's why Jesus walked the earth and was tempted as we were tempted and he felt the pains that we could feel so that he would know what it feels like. So God is always, always with us. I'm going to start out in reading Psalms 23. It's a fairly familiar Psalms. Starting in verse 1, Psalms 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, he leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with the oil and my cup runneth early over surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever it's a promise he's giving us in this Psalms I want you to especially think about verse 4 when it says I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil for thou art with me thy rod and thy staff they comfort me when we're talking about the valley of the shadow of death, we're talking about the deepest, darkest times of your life. Where you feel lost and you feel hopeless and you're living in complete despair and, and you think, God, there is no help for me. I've gone too far. I've done too much. Your hand can't reach that far. But what you don't realize is that God is already right there beside you in that valley. Because he says, I won't leave you, nor will I forsake you. It doesn't matter what you're doing or what you're going through. If you accept the shed blood of Jesus Christ that he done two days or three days ago, then God says, I'm with you. You can't run too far. You can't go down too low. God is there. He's with you. He's helping you. He's seeing you through it. Remember that as we go through today. I'm going to flip over to Matthew 27, starting in verse 1. We're going to talk about a little bit of this darkness. I've got a lot of scripture today, guys, because I love scripture, and I want you to hear God's word, not mine. I want you to know what God's word says, not me. So chapter seven, 27 of Matthew, starting in verse 1. It says, when the morning was come, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. This is after he was arrested in the garden. This is after Judas had accepted the 30 pieces of silver to betray him and to point him out. It says, so all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. Now we've done a little bit of research on this, me and Misty, when we were talking about 30 pieces of silver, we wanted to know how much that was. It was about a month and a half's worth of salary back then. Guys. If you need a month and a half's worth of salary, you come see me, and I'll try to figure out a way before you betray somebody. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Jesus, Judas at this time says he, he repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. In verse 4 he says, saying, I have sinned and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. 
See, that's what Satan does to us. He, he hands us sin and he tells us it's nice and it's comfortable and it's going to feel good. And then when you do it and you're on the other side of it and you realize that it was just a front, he was just setting you up for failure and you want to give it back to him and say, I don't want this anymore. He said, you've already got it. What are you to me? That sin is on you now. I don't care. I don't care about you. You've taken that sin and you made it your own. I don't care about you. See, that's what happened to Judas. It came over him and, and we were talking about it. I don't know what guys he was hanging with, but it wasn't surely the disciples that said, sell out the Messiah. Be bought out for the Messiah for a month and a half worth of salary. The disciples weren't hanging around him saying that, so he got mixed in with a bad crowd, right? He got mixed in with people that was telling him that this was a good idea to sell out your Savior. And I'm here to tell you today that, yes, yeah, sin looks good on the front side. Josh Turner sings about that long black train. Boy, it sure looks good coming down the track. But it'll leave you like it left Judas. It'll leave you empty and more broken than when you picked it up. It'll leave you asking and begging forgiveness from a father that created you because all it has in it is loneliness and darkness for you to flop around and flail around in. Getting lost and more confused. The more you indulge in sin, the more lost and confused that you get and the deeper down that you go and the more you got to have to suffice your needs. Anybody ever been down that road? It's a snowball effect, right? Look at what David did. Started out with lusting after a woman and ended up with killing the number one man in his military. It lost him his firstborn child. See, sin doesn't stop at face value. It demands more. It wants more of you than what you have to give. It won't stop. And so Judas is begging. He said... Take this silver back. I've made a mistake. I want out. I want out. I don't want to have selling out my Savior for 30 pieces of silver. I'm sorry that I ever did it. And they said, that is not on us anymore. The damage has been done. Go deal with it yourself. See, that's what Satan does. He leaves you lost and alone and, and cold and empty after you do it, right? Whether it be a drug addiction or adultery or whatever it is. The next morning ain't so pretty. The next day ain't as great. You feel lost and you feel a brokenness. In verse 4, I'm going to go back and I'm going to read it again says, saying, I have sinned and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. And in verse 5, and he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and he departed and he went. He went and he hung himself. The devil had him so blinded. See, Jesus thought he was so far gone. He was in that pit of darkness and despair that he thought there was, there was no way out. There's no way out. In verse 6, it says, And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for to put them in the treasury because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and they bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore, that field was called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value, and gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord appointed me. Can you imagine the loneliness that had set in in Judas's life? See, sin had divided him from the Father. It had divided him 
from the rest of the disciples that had divided him from his friends and had divided him from everything that was good in his life. And that's what Satan comes to do. He comes to divide us from the church family. He comes to divide us from our regular family. He comes to divide you from praying. Anybody ever sin and like, I can't go to the Father right now. I'm not worthy to pray for my forgiveness. I'm not good enough. I'm too broken. I'm too down. I'm too out. I'm lost. How come suicide is up in exponential amount of numbers today? Because there's a division amongst us, even the ones that like each other, the families that come together, whose family gathers more today than they used to. I bet there's not one in here that says that. It's quite the opposite. We gather less and less and less with family as the time goes on. Why? Because we get too busy? Because work's so important? Because we don't have any time? Because the devil has stepped in and told you these things. I don't have time to stop and sit with my family. I don't have time to stop and check on my neighbor. I don't have time. You're too busy to help. You're too busy to evangelize. You're too busy to spread the good news gospel. You're too busy to help somebody that's down and out. Right? We're just too busy. We're just too busy. We ain't got time for that. I, I'm guilty myself. I was telling Sunday school this morning as I walk up through here, you know, you're trying to get ready for service and everything. It's, hi, how are you? Hi, how are you? Hi, how are you? One morning the Lord stopped me as a young girl entered the church and I said, hi, how are you? And she's like, oh, I'm fine. She wasn't fine. She was broken and hurting. And by God's grace, he allowed me for a second to slow my roll and to sit down with her, but for a minute, and to allow her to cry for a second. But how many times do we say hi, expecting a, I'm good, because I don't really care how you feel, I'm just going to keep going. Please don't bother me with your problems. Right? Anybody guilty of that besides me? I do it all the time. But all these, these things that we miss and the, the people that we could help might have been in our path where we were so busy we couldn't see it. Because we're not looking when we step foot out of bed in the morning. We're not seeking kingdom things. We're seeking our agenda and our planning for the day because I haven't got time to help somebody on my lunch break because I went home and I ate lunch and, and now I'm hurried back and I don't want to get my bank clothes dirty. Or I'm on my way to church. I haven't got time to help somebody, right? We don't want to be late for the church, so we pass up the opportunity to witness. But that's where we're at. That's why this world's in the shape that it is. Because we're too busy. We're too busy to take the time. Jesus, we talked about him this week. Me and Missy and the family have talked about it on several accounts, and, and Wednesday night we were talking about it, and this morning, Jesus didn't speed up or slow down coming in on Palm Sunday. His last entrance into the city, it didn't, his week didn't change knowing that he was going to be beaten mercilessly and hung and blood strung out on a cross. Guess what? He still took the time to do the Father's will. He cleared out the temple. He took time and he taught in the temple. He ate and washed feet. And he done these things with the people that he knew was going to betray him. And the people that he knew was going to desert him. And the people that knew that he was going to deny even knowing him. That didn't change what the will of the Father had for him. And that didn't change anything about what he was going to do. Coming into this Sunday, if I knew I was going to die Friday, it would change up my life a little bit and what I was going to do. Jesus didn't change because he was seeking after the right things to start with. I'm going to skip over to Matthew 27. I'm going to read this scripture. Matthew 27 and verse 45. It says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land into the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, 
Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You think Jesus didn't feel everything that we felt? Who's been on the floor praying and feeling like your, your prayers are hitting the ceiling because God doesn't hear you? I get there sometimes. I get there, I feel alone and deserted. Jesus felt that. Father. Father God. Why have you forsaken me? And in verse 47, some of them stood there when they heard that, said, This man calleth for Elias, and straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, Let it be. Let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Man, how much does that sound like the rest of the world, right? Let us see. Don't help him. Don't help him. Don't help him be better. Don't help him prolong. Don't help him. I just, I just want to see what's going to happen. Right? Everything's entertainment for us. We want to wait and see what's going to happen. We don't want to help. We don't want to have accountability. We don't have responsibility. We want to wait and we want to see what's going to happen. I can tell you what, if we bought this building and this church sets here to wait and see what's going to happen, it's going to remain empty and it's going to remain useless and it's going to remain loveless and it's going to sit there and it's going to rot and it's going to fall in. That's what's going to happen if God's people stand around and wait to see what's going to happen. This world's going to get emptier. It's going to get darker. It's going to get lonelier. Because we're going to wait and see what's going to happen. God calls us to be different. He calls us to stand out. He calls us to be a peculiar people. And let me tell you, I know some of the people in here, and there's some very peculiar people in here. Amen. Verse 50, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom, and earth did quake, and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared to many. Now when the centurion that they were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake, and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. And many women were there, beholding from afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto them, among which was Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's children. It says, Many of the bodies of saints come up out of their grave, and they went back into the cities when Jesus died. Watch and see what happens. <laughs> then the centurion soldier's like, whoa. <laughs> that guy was somebody, turns out. That guy was somebody. In verse 57, I'm reading through all this because this may be the first time somebody has heard it, and I don't want them to miss it. When the evening was come, there came a rich man of Arithmia named Joseph, who was also himself a Jesus' disciple. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and he laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock, and he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. And there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. Now the next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said he was yet alive after three days. I will arise again. Isn't it funny when you talk to non-believers and you talk to people that aren't quite there yet, that some of them that even oppose the gospel, that, that claim atheism or agnosticism or whatever ism they, they claim, know scripture fairly well that are pretty studied in the word because they they spend a lifetime trying to to oppose it 
but yet they, they haven't come up with a conclusion to, to strictly oppose it, so they claim, they claim something else because there's not enough evidence to, to disprove it. But these guys remembered what Jesus said. They, they spent so much effort and time like, Pilate, listen, this guy said that after three days he was going to be alive. That's what they remember. They remember this deceiver. They called him a deceiver. He came and he said after three days, he said he was going to be alive again. We've got to do something. We've got to do something because if this gets out, it's just, it's going to be disastrous. If, if any kind of even imagery that this guy comes alive in the third day gets out all of, all of everything that's ever been done, the, the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders of that time and all this power and this money, it's all going to be ruined. All this authority that we have, it's threatened. So they remembered him saying that. In verse 64 it says, Command therefore that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day lest his disciples come by night and steal him away. And said unto the people, He is risen from the dead, so the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, You have a watch, go your way, make it as sure as you can. So they went and they made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting watch. All this time, Jesus is laying in there. You know that darkest of darks where you... You can't even see your, it's just a weird feeling, like the dark, dark, where you can't see your hand in front of your face. And you're moving about, and you can, you can feel things, but it's just weird because there's no motion visible, right? It's just a weird, weird thing. I can imagine when they rolled that rock over that tomb how dark it was in there. They said they sealed it, and then they set watch over it, and Jesus is laying in there. In chapter 28, it says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for the fear of him, the keepers did shake and become as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. This is where in Luke 24, 5, it says, Why seek ye the living amongst the dead? Because see, on Friday he was put in this tomb, and on Saturday they rolled the stone, and all this time while the devil was planning, God was doing a work. And while they thought nothing was happening, and he was just laying there, God was working. And in the darkness of that tomb, in the depths where you can't even see because the pit of darkness is so black, God is doing a work, and he done the greatest work in the deepest darkness, and he broke the chains of death, and Jesus come out of that grave. Amen. He didn't have to roll a stone back. Jesus came out by the work of God. That last song that was played, when that trumpet sounds, I'm not staying here. They could put me 12 feet down. I don't care. I'm not staying. I'm coming out, and I'm going home. Amen? Jesus Christ died so that the dirt can't hold me. Death doesn't bind me anymore. Sin has no control over me. Because of what work God was doing in the darkness. See, all those years that I wasted, spent partying and, and foul-mouthed and, and doing all this junk in my life, God was doing a work in me. God says, I know the plans that I have for you. I know the plans that I have for you. You can walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but I am your God, and I will be beside you, and I will walk with you, and I will turn your head, and I will light your path until you can get it straight, and then you can walk with me, and you can do my will, and we will walk into the light together, and we will have that resurrection Sunday where you actually see the light and you start walking in it. I can't tell you how my life has changed over the last six years, but what I can tell you is I am 
more comfortable and more at peace now than I have ever been in my life. Death doesn't scare me anymore. See, there was a time where I feared death. I don't want to die. Lord, there's too much here. Now I'm saying, Lord, come take me because there's too much over there that I want to see. I'm about to baptize my son and my family is going to heaven. Amen? It doesn't get any better. It doesn't get any better as a father. I can imagine what my father in heaven is saying when these baptisms happen today. You're coming to spend eternity with me. You're a new creation in me. Brian, your name isn't Brian. Your name is brother. We share the blood, man. We were talking in Sunday school this morning about when you signify by calling somebody brother or sister. It's a deeper relationship. See, you can call God, God, but until you call him father, it's different. Because even Satan says, God, I get to call him Father. I get to stretch out my arms and I get to reach for him and he gets to reach down for me. A couple weeks ago I was at a men's conference and the preacher was talking about how God will reach down to you if you reach up for him. And I couldn't feel him, man. I was having one of those weeks where I was, I was struggling to feel it and the prayers were hitting the ceiling and it was just not a great week for me. And I needed a breakthrough. And I prayed, God, I just need to feel your touch. And I raised my hands, and guess what I felt? I felt a brush across the back of my left hand. There was two guys standing beside me, and they were way shorter. There's no way they could have done it. He says, seek me, and you'll find me. Mary and Mary went to the sepulcher that morning seeking Jesus. The angel said, he ain't here no more. But guess what they found is the angel directed them. Well, let's just read. We haven't got there yet. Verse 6, it says, he is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. It says, and they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring the disciples the word. I told them this morning, we get to hear this every day, right? God, Jesus is risen. God is overcome. It says they turn to run and tell the disciples with great joy. It never gets old. Play it again in the morning. Like, man, Jesus died for me. I've got today. He gave me today. God, what do you want me to do with it? You want me to go tell somebody? All right. Who is it? And you wait in anticipation until that person crosses your path. You ever had a word for somebody and you're like, gosh, what do I, what do, I do with this? <laughs> I had that last weekend. I'll just give you testimony. Last weekend, I didn't get through all the scripture. But God told me it was time to quit. So I quit. And then I had a meeting with somebody after church was over. Guess what? God had me read to them. That set of scripture that I did not get to. <laughs> but God is good like that. Run with great joy, excitement to tell the world about what the Lord has done. And it says, as they went to tell the disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, all hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. They went seeking Jesus. Guess what they found? They found Jesus, right? Say it's by coincidence? What if they never went to the tomb that morning? Would they have found Jesus? I would guess not because they weren't seeking him. But they went to the tomb where they were supposed to be, and they left according to the angel's word, and guess who they crossed paths with? The person they went to find. I'm quite sure coincidences don't exist in my life anymore. I'm just sure of it, Nancy. I think they went away. See, before I started walking in faith and started walking in the will of the Father and believed that he actually had an impact on my life, there's a lot of coincidences. Like, huh, fancy that. Now I'm pretty sure God intervenes in my life all the time because I'm thick-headed and stubborn and he has to do that for me to stay 
on the straight and narrow. But they went seeking Jesus. They went to the darkness of the tomb seeking Jesus. And when their path was made straight and they were headed where God was telling them, they found Jesus. I'm going to end in Matthew 25, verse 31. Matthew 25, verse 31. It says, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. And before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate them one for another, as the shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And He shall set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on his left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. See, this isn't by, this isn't by coincidence. You didn't just happen in here this morning. You didn't just stumble your way in here this morning. It wasn't at odds. He says in verse 34, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom that was what? Prepared. Prepared for you from the foundation of this world. He's been preparing for us for a long time. He knew that we were coming. He knew that we were going to walk in darkness as Judas walked. He knew that in our deepest, darkest times, we were going to need him more than we were ever thought we were going to need him before. And he knew that we weren't perfect and that we were going to sin, so he sent his son to cover it up. Now you get the choice as to whether you choose that blood covenant or not. You get the choice every day to choose if you're going to stand with the cross or if you're going to leave it lay because you don't feel like picking it up. Kenny already bared his cross this morning. I told the, told the morning service we took that cross over here to the parking lot where we had morning service this morning. Brian handed it to him over the rail, and he had it on his shoulder, and he went walking. And I said, hey, Brian, look, Kenny's bearing his cross. It was pretty funny. But guys, Easter, Easter is a celebration of God working in the darkness. While the devil had thought he would won in that deep, dark grave that he had put Jesus in, God was working. God's doing the same thing now. In your deepest, darkest moments of despair, when you feel like there's no way out, God is working. And he says, if you'll knock on that door to me, I will fling it open with excitement and open arms. If you, sing, if you seek me, you will find me. Because I've never left you. He's never left. We just stopped seeking. We never thought to open that door that he gave us to walk through. So if you would, please stand today. We're going to open up the altars today. And I'm not lying when I say it. I believe that everybody was here for a purpose this morning. And I appreciate your obedience to God's will. But if you need to come clean this morning, if you need to get clean this morning, now is the time to fall on your knees and ask God for forgiveness. If you haven't accepted the blood covenant, these promises in this book are not yours. You don't get to call Him Father. We're not children of God automatically. You have to ask Him to be your Father. See, and I want you to be mistaken when you leave here that you're automatically covered by the blood because you come to church on a Sunday. It doesn't work like that. You cry out to God and you tell Him that you're more than a failure and that you're broken and you know that He's the only one that can heal you. He's the only one that can fulfill you. You know that His blood was shed as He bore your sins and you nailed Him to that cross and you shouted hallelujah. I know a lot of us 
accept that stuff when we're younger and then we depart from it and we stop seeking the Lord. Well, I, I beg of you and I pray for you today that today you turn your life around. Today's the day. Tomorrow's another opportunity if you get it. But today is the day of salvation because he says it's closer now than it ever has been. What are you going to say when those trumpets blast? Hold on, give me a second. I never had the chance. And he's going to say, yes, you did. You had the chance. You didn't take it. Today is the day. There's decisions that need to be made today. There's rededications that need to be made today. There's people that need to turn their life around that said, I accepted Jesus a long time ago, but I may have stopped listening to him somewhere along the way. Today is the day to get it straight. Because he brought you here today for purpose and for reason. I believe it. So come pray. If you don't want to pray by yourself, grab somebody to come pray with you. Or come up here and wave at me and I'll pray with you. But if you need to come pray, come pray. The altars are open. I'm 
What seems each time I tell it Oh, wonderfully sweet I love to tell the story For some have never heard The message of salvation From God's own holy Tell the story, will be my. Th-